I invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 15, a very familiar passage of Scripture, and let's pray together. Our Father and our God, as we look at this beautiful passage of Scripture tonight, Lord, I pray that it would fall fresh on our hearts, that it would encourage us, that it would instill in us that this identity that you have given us as your children, as your child, is so magnificent. It ought to bring real change, real determination and direction in our lives. Father, I pray that it would be something that would just encourage me, let alone all of us tonight. Lord, I pray you'd meet every need in our hearts here. Lord, it's been a long week for some of us already, and we've still got a few days to go. And so I pray that it would revitalize us. Lord, that it would pick us up. Lord, that it would spur us on for your glory and your glory alone. Thank you again for all that you've given us in Christ our Lord, in whose name I pray. Amen. When we look at cherishing our identity, uh, we look at John chapter 15 and we see the parable of the vine. And right away, Christ looks at them and he says, I am the true vine. Now, chances are they are walking now. They have had um, communion together at the Last Supper, if you will. He has washed their feet, and now they are moving along, uh, walking through the town and, and going to the Garden of Gethsemane for the time of prayer. And it is possible as they're going, they could have walked past the temple. Now, the national emblem for Israel at this time is a vine and the front of the temple at that time had this golden emblem their national emblem of a grapevine on it it could have been referring to uh, psalm 80 verses 8 and 9 which declares this wait until i get there but it declares this It says, you have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You, God, prepared a room for it and caused it to take deep root and it filled the land. Talking about Israel. Or, better yet, they could have just passed a nice vine that was growing on a trellis. And we know that our Lord often liked to use these examples as he did his teaching and that is what's going to happen right here and he declares right away I am the true vine and what he is going to get to and and reestablish with them and emphasize for the umpteenth time this is meant to be as I go to the cross and as I rise from the dead this is meant to be an eternal relationship relationship. God doesn't do anything that doesn't include you and I in harmony with him through the finished work of Christ. 
He wants you and I to be children of the Most High God. That's why Christ came. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he was willing to have your sin, my sin, placed on his body there. And he suffered the just wrath of God in your place and my place so we could have a relationship with him. And he's saying... I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser or the gardener, if you will. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he, God the Father, prunes it that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Relationship. God had a part. Christ had a part and still is doing that part. I don't know if you have ever worked in grapes or not. Uh, I have. Uh, Diane's dad, he was a dairy farmer and he bought another farm, an adjacent farm, who just happened to have four acres of grapes on it. And so rather than tearing it out and plowing it up, he decided he was going to also raise grapes. And so I had the joy of trimming them in the coldest and worst of weather. Oh, pruning them. Which was worse yet was then going back through and pulling the brush in the coldest and worst of weather and having one of those vines slap you aside the head and when it's 20 degrees out or colder. Maintaining the vine. In this relationship, God wants to maintain your life and my life. The question will always boil down to, do we really believe that God has given you and I everything? I emphasize that, that word. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. Do we really believe it? And if we really believe it, he yearns to maintain it. And it happens through this wonderful relationship of abiding or remaining in Christ. He reminds them, verse 3, that you're already clean. If you remember when he was washing their, their feet, he says, uh, Peter says, oh, you're not going to wash my feet? Now, wait a minute. If I don't, you're not clean. And he goes, you're clean, but not all of you, referring to Judas Iscariot. But now he's just with the 11, and now he says, you're all clean. All of you are in the word, and in Christ, in me, and following me, so you are clean. Repentance and forgiveness has happened in your life, and now for the pruning to take place, that is the transformation that God yearns to bring in your life and my life. With your finger right there in John chapter 14, go back to John 14 and look at verse 12 with me. He's already declared to them that the helper is going to come. He's answered a few questions. He's declared he's the way, the truth, and the life. And then you get to verse 12 in John chapter 14. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has saving faith. 
The works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, uh, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. I, I always get amazed that that's one of those radical verses of Scripture that where he says, you're going to do greater works than I have. And he is revealing if you and I remain or abide in Christ where every aspect of our life totally depends on him, then he is going to bless and he is going to prune, he's going to grow us in his grace so that he can use us, so that we would be vessels meet for the Father's use. I don't know about you, but that really excites me. I can't believe that God, A, would want to use me, but the fact that he wants to use me wonderfully for his glory is awesome and encouraging. You know, I look around the auditorium, and there's about 800 of us here, probably, and, and I want you each to know, every single one of you to know, God has a divine purpose for your life for his glory. Isn't that an awesome thought? All you and I to cherish this identity through my salvation, becoming a child of God. All I have to do is remain in Christ and allow him to do the work that he wants to do. Sometimes it happens through trials. I don't know about you, but sometimes trials... And they can be long. They can be discouraging at times. But yet God's word tells us that trials are meant for our good, for you and I to grow, mature in Christ in the midst of them so that you and I trust him and depend on him even more in life. A relationship a genuine relationship where transformation is happening, where we are becoming these vessels that God so wonderfully and gloriously wants to use for his glory. In Romans chapter 12, he starts out, and Romans chapter 12 is one of those brilliant uh, chapters of scripture that is a snapshot of the Christian life and he starts it out this way I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable to God which is your reasonable service and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed through the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God being transformed radically changed Wow, for his glory, so that he can use you and I. I have shared with you often that when I got saved, the last thing in the world that I ever thought I would be is a pastor, and yet God's ways are different and higher than my ways, and lo and behold, I find myself a pastor as doing the ministry of a pastor. We, uh, we came out here for our baby's birthday. I, I imagine I have shared that with you a couple of times, and uh, we, she, she got married right here at RMC. And I've shared with you that the first two people I met at Rocky Mountain Calvary were Dan Hooker and Donnie. Interesting men to meet. <laughs> and what a joy. What a joy. 
you know, Dan uh, officiated the wedding, and it was fun, and it was great. Uh, my daughter chose that rather than having a wedding cake, that she was going to celebrate it with donuts to each their own. But anyways, on Sunday, we're worshiping here, and uh, I want you to know I was tired. I, I was tired. I've been plugging away at the ministry in two, minist- in two churches uh, for about 23 years, and both of them had had radical difficulties before I became their pastor. And uh, we sat someplace back there. My wife likes to sit a similar place all the time. I know none of you do that, <laughs> but we do. And, and we were sitting back there, and uh, Robert happened to be teaching that week. And as I was sitting there, I confessed to the Lord, Lord, I'm tired. And the Lord kind of shook me a little bit. He goes, you're so tired, you're just going through the motions. Now, I want you to know that scared me, that thought just going through my head and heart. If, if ever the last thing I want to do as a child of God is just going through the motions of being a child of God, let alone a pastor. And that scared me. And so I began praying or began repenting. You know, for you and I to, to be molded by God, we've got to be willing to face our failures. God, forgive me. There's a flock that you've entrusted to my care, and I'm blowing it. Help. Forgive me. Hmm. It was a deep enough tired that I went back and asked for some time off so I could recoup, and that wasn't possible uh, at the church I was at. And so after a while, and because of some things that had happened out here, I decided to retire from pastoral service. I just retired. Wrote a letter of retirement. We moved out here, and I went to work in a factory again. Began helping and serving, and I'm thinking, hey, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm healthy spiritually. Diana and I were growing again and uh, reconnecting, if you will, and things like that. But I wasn't doing what God had called me to. This area of abiding is for you and I to find that sweet spot of where we trust God with everything, in everything, all the time. Remaining in Christ. It is a relationship. He yearns for that close of a relationship with you and I. And the question is, is do we believe it? I had to believe that my heavenly father wanted to nurture me, help me in the midst of my tiredness to rejuvenate me again. For whatever he called me to. Look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. Catch the end of the verse. For without me, you can do only a few things. It doesn't say that, does it? For without him, we can do nothing, absolutely nothing that will glorify the Father. Those are sobering words. 
That's why, again, remaining in Christ, having this close relationship with him is so necessary. That means in this relationship, God is now going to share with you and I that you and I have some responsibility. And that responsibility does include that abiding or that remaining, having genuine, consistent communion with God. Seven days a week. The best you and I can. How how are you doing? How am I doing in that? Real, honest communion with God, day in and day out. Do we have a sweet time of prayer? Do we have a sweet time of, of just sitting back and listening to his word? Eric, he said it so well. He goes, don't just read the word. Sit back and listen. That's communion. God wants to talk to you and I through his word, through the power of his spirit in a wonderful way. Look at verses 6 and 7. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out like a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them in fire, and they are burned. In other words, they lose their usefulness. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Abiding in God's word. Yeah, we say it over and over again. This book is God's love letter to us. And there are portions of it that are confusing, and yet, guess what? It is God's love letter to you and I, and it contains 66 letters that you and I can read and you and I can absorb, and with the help of the power of the Spirit who indwells us, as well as good teachers and stuff, you and I can make the understanding of it enough so that it will transform us to where God can use us, to where we can abide in his word and obey it. Uh, Luke chapter 8, if you want to turn back there for just a second, Matthew, Mark, Luke 8. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles. I'll let you. Luke 8. This is a beautiful chapter of Scripture and he is talking about the, the purposes of, of different uh, parables and things like that. And, and as you look at it, in verse 21, and well, we'll start in verse 19. It says, as he was teaching, then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because the crowd, the crowd was so thick and dense and around him that mom and his brothers couldn't get to him. But word spread and it was told by some, verse 20, who said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and he said unto them, listen to this, my, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and what? Do it. You know, God wants you and I to abide in his word to where this book is more than a once or twice week book, where it's something that we really enjoy that it is something that we desire. How many of you know about Psalm 119? Psalm 119 is 176 verses long, and it talks a lot about God's word. And one recurring theme throughout the whole psalm is the fact that David wants people to know 
not only is the word of God important, but enjoying the word of God is important. Listen to these verses. Psalm 119, 16. I delight myself in your statutes, Lord. Psalm 119, 24. Your testimonies are also my delight and my counselors. Psalm 119, verse 35. Make me to walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in them. Verse 43, take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. Verse 47, I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. Verse 70, I delight in your law. Verse 74, I have hoped in your word. You will be glad when you see me. Uh, Verse 77, let your tender mercies come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. Verse 97, I love your law. Verse 113, but I love your law. Verse 127, I love your commandments. Verse 132, be merciful to me because I love your name. Uh, Verse 147, rise before the dawning of the morning and I cry for help because I hope in your word. Verse 159, consider Lord, how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord. Now, verse 162, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. 163, I hate lying, but I love your law. Uh, Verse 165, great peace have those who love your law. Verse 166, I hope in your salvation and I do your commandments. Uh, 167, my soul keeps your testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. Verse 174, your law is my delight again. Do you think David liked God's word? I think he totally loved it. And here, how how do you respond to God's word? Is Is it a book that you can't wait to open up in the morning when you get up because you know God's got a treasure for you in it. I hope so. Because guess what? God's got a treasure for you in his book. He yearns to use it in your life and my life. You know, I can't wait to do my devotions. Diane gives me this half an hour in the morning where it's my time. You know, and I'm so thankful for that. I have quiet time with God. I can't wait for it. Sometimes I'm so excited, either that or else I can't sleep, that I get up 20 minutes early and start 20 minutes early, and so I go for an hour. I love God's Word. Do you love it? I also believe that I could do more in it. I'm might seem like an odd uh, declaration for a pastor to say, but I really believe I could do more in it. What occupies my time does the word of God? My responsibility back to John chapter 15 is to abide and remain in him, Christ. It's also to abide in the word of God. 
Look at verses 8 and following. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy may be full. Look at that verse 10. If you keep. The third responsibility that you and I have is to obey God's word. As we read it, as we study it, as we hear it taught, obey it. Wanting it to transform our lives. Yeah. Looking at those things. So I want you to notice that all of these things, these responsibilities are doing things, not donting things. These are things that God has called you and I to do if we are going to have this beautiful, close relationship with him that reveals our identity, that reveals that you and I cherish our identity or our relationship with God. I remember reading a story of a couple that were just delighted in one another and they got engaged and then his job, uh, he was an engineer, sent him to Ireland and he had to take a two-year assignment to go. And uh, they decided that they weren't going to get married and go together but that she would remain in Tennessee and that he would go. And so they began communicating regularly, uh, phone calls, letters, and things like that. And uh, after a while, uh, she began wondering whether or not he was remaining true. I can understand that. And he was true. He said, I can't say that I haven't been tempted, but I am remaining true and true to you alone. I am keeping myself for you, and I can't wait for us to get married. A couple weeks later, in the mail, he got a little box and a nice letter of encouragement from her, thanking him for remaining true, uh, but also in the box was a harmonica. And he wondered, I don't play a harmonica. And, but the letter ended with this thought. Listen, you know, maybe you ought to start playing the harmonica, and that way it'll take your mind off the other distractions that you could have while you're there if you get bored at work, as well as doing reading the Bible and things like that. So... They keep communicating. He keeps declaring uh, his, his love for her. She keeps declaring her love for him and their purity for one another. And he comes home and uh, he checks in in Los Angeles with the company that, he, that sent him, gets things carried, uh, carried through and finished. And then he hops on a plane, goes to Tennessee, uh, knocks on the door. They open up the door. He goes running in and he gets ready to to embrace his girlfriend, and you go, whoa, 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 whoa. And he what? She goes, if there's going to be any hugging and kissing in here, you got to show me you can play that harmonica. <laughs> no. Now that's fictitious, isn't it? But anyways, I just, <laughs> I want you to know, 
as you and I abide in him, abide in his love, abide in his word, because he has given us his spirit, as you and I, we might feel overwhelmed the first times we open this book. We might feel shy the first time we actually pray. But the more and more consistency that we put into it, the more and more commitment that we put into it, guess what? God starts using you and I in great and mighty wonderful ways because the relationship is developing in a profound way for his glory and his glory alone, keeping and obeying his word. Verse 12 is that loving one another. We know back in chapter 13, um, in verses 34 and 35, Christ said this about loving one another. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and you also love one another. By this all, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That upward, inward, outward thing that we heard about this weekend and the reality of it, loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and realizing what he has. This is a relationship with plenty of responsibility. He also shares, guess what? It's going to end with this thought of rejection. Look at verses 18 through 25. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world... I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If, you, if, uh, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yourself, yours also. But all of these things they will do to you for my namesake because they do not know him, God, the Father who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would, not, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is lit that which is written in the law they hated me without cause huh that's not a good thing being rejected but the world will they won't understand that doesn't mean that we don't continue to love them and encourage them I don't know about you, but I was thinking about my identity uh, ever since Pastor Eric shared last week, and uh, Friday is meant to be my Sabbath, but this past week, and, and you're going to hear me play my little violin, uh, ministry consumed Friday, and so no day off. Saturday was consumed by ministry, so no day off, and I'm coming in bright and early to be here uh, Sunday morning, and I'm driving down Austin Bluffs, and there's this car, I'm on the inside lane, this car is in the third lane, the left lane, and I'm coming down through, and uh, I like to play tunes loud uh, to kind of get myself going and wake up a little bit, and I was listening to Mercy Me's Lifer, uh, you know, and I was listening to it, and all of a sudden this, this car goes, whoa! 
right in front of me. I had to screech my brakes so that I did not run into this person. Now, a lot of thoughts could have run through my mind. The pickup behind me, I almost became a hood ornament for them. I have a little bitty Cavalier. He had an F-150, a big one. You know, and he slammed on his brakes, smoked, and ended up cocked sideways as his car did this. And I want you to know the first thing, this time, I'm not saying it did it every time, <laughs> this time was, what's my identity? I want to meditate on this. I want it to become a part of the fabric of who Rich Bailey is because I know God is calling me to something special out in the Ellicott ministry. And I want them to see the reality that Jesus Christ loves them and that the light of Christ ought to be something that is drawn to them rather than will there be some potentially that will reject that truth? Absolutely. But I want the identity to be true and real and wonderful because if you and I look, go back through this chapter, we will see all of the rewards that we have that God graciously gives us if we abide in him, if we abide in his word, if we keep his word, and if we love one another. Here are the things that he promises. We will be fruitful. Now, how many here don't want to be fruitful for the cause of Christ? I bet you there isn't a one of you who would say, well, that'd be me. No, we all want to be. Some way, somehow, we yearn to be that vessel that God would use for his glory. We bring glory to the Father when we abide in these things. We have real purpose in life. God has a divine occupation, if you will, for each and every one of us, even within the occupations that we have. He yearns for us to have genuine joy, and if ever our culture and our world and our community is looking for joy, it's now. And I'm wondering if your identity in Christ and my identity in Christ reveals that we are in the very center of the joy of Christ that he has given us in this grace gift of himself. Do you realize it takes 72 muscles here to make a frown and only 14 to smile? Are we really happy being a child of God? I hope so. Yeah, it ought to brighten up our day and God ought to use us to brighten up others to have genuine joy within that purpose we get the pleasure and the joy of revealing God the Son and God the Father to others in this Christ-likeness as we grow. We know that God hears our prayers and he will carry out his will in our lives through answered prayer. What genuine rewards we get. And we don't deserve nada. And yet he gives them. And they're listed there. What a wonder. So what are the resources that you and I have? As we start coming around the communion table tonight, what are the resources? I want you to know for me, it started a day that God broke me and revealed to me that I was a real rotten sinner separated from him. 
and it started with God's grace. God's grace is a tremendous resource. For you and I to live in open rebellion is a real scoffing at God's grace. God's grace. I'm so glad that his spirit convicted me of his righteousness. You know, we're coming around the communion table, you know, the shed blood of Christ, the broken body of Christ. You know, the real celebration of it is to celebrate God's grace. That's God's resource for you and I, right? (laughs) We have God's word. I guess what? In America, a lot of people have God's word. You can just walk into... Uh, Walk to the back of the auditorium and you can get your free one. It's right there. It's so readily available. I have so many translations downloaded on my phone now. And I use them so often now. I'm amazed. I hated iPhone. I hate computers. Matt knows I hate computers. Uh, But they are such a tremendous resource to where we can share the truth of God's word anywhere and everywhere all the time. We have God's indwelling spirit. That's why I always love Galatians chapter 5, living in the spirit, being led by the spirit, walking with the spirit so that the fruit of the spirit can be evident in your life and my life. My remaining, my abiding this relationship, and then the fruit of the Spirit reveals himself even when you're almost in an accident. The resources are real. The fact that the veil was rent so you and I could come to the altar on our knees and share the humility of Christ. We have the love of God. We have all of those resources and so many more. We have friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't know about you, but I want to cherish my identity. I was reminded, and I know not all of you are old enough, but uh, back in October of... 1994, NASA did a crazy thing. They took the Magellan spacecraft and they pointed it right towards Venus and pushed the button so it just zipped right straight through the atmosphere and crashed into the... Now, why in the world would they do that? Here it is, a, a, I think a $900 million aircraft at that time. You know why they did it? It lost all of its power and it was non-functional anymore. And so rather than just let it orbit, orbit, they decided to push the button. We have all of the power available all the time. You and I do not have a reason to run out of The power of God. Do you believe that? 
So how are we doing? How are you doing? Cherishing your identity in Christ. What does it look like? Are you committed to growth? Are you committed to communing openly, consistently, and regularly with the creator of the universe? As you gather around the communion table tonight, and as we take, I'd just like you to ask yourself that one question. Eric asked us four. I'm just going to ask you one. Can I improve in cherishing this great identity of being a child of the Most High God? And if so, identify that area and commit yourself to allow God to work in it one way or another with someone or just with the power of the Holy Spirit. Say, God, forgive me. Help me. I yearn for people to see and recognize Christ in me. Let's stand and pray together. Our Father and our God, our identity as a child of God starts the moment we trust Christ as Savior. It would be foolish of me to think that everybody here truly has come to that point in their lives where they recognize without Christ they are totally undone. Lord, how I pray that tonight would make that difference. that as the ministry team gathers, that they would come up and say, hey, I want to be a child of the Most High God. And that they would repent of their sin and place their faith completely, believing in their heart that Christ died and rose again and that he is the Savior, their Savior. Oh, Father, for the rest of us, whatever our need might be, we might be just overwhelmed in life and would love to have somebody pray with us. But might all of us be challenged? How am I abiding? How do I cherish this identity as a child of God? Is it really evident? Do I have some weak spots? Reveal them, Lord. Grow me in your grace. Change me for your glory. Father, that's my heart's cry. I know you're not done. Oh, Father, use us in a broken world that is so desperate for joy and hope and purpose. And we have all of that in your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.